If you have a Bible or device, turn with me um, to the book of Malachi. We're going to be in chapter 2, verses 1 through 9. Um, and once you got it, please say, got it. Okay, one or two, three, four, five. We're growing. We're growing in the got it thing. We're growing. Yes. So Malachi chapter 2, um, verses 1 through 9, and I'm going, I'm going to read it. Now, and now, O priests, this command is for you. If you will not listen, if you will not take it to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send the curse upon you and I will curse your blessings. Indeed, I have already cursed them because you do not lay it to heart. Behold, I will rebuke your offspring and spread dung on your faces, the dung of your offspring, and you shall be taken away with it. So shall you know that I have sent this command to you, that my covenant with Levi may stand, says the Lord of hosts. My covenant with him was one of life and peace, and I gave them to him. It was a covenant of fear, and he feared me. He stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and no wrong was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and he turned many away from iniquity. For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge, and people should seek instruction from his mouth, for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. But you have turned aside from the way. You have caused many to stumble by your instruction. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. And so I make you despised and abased before all the people. Inasmuch as you do not keep my ways, but show partiality in your instruction. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray again. Um, Father, we ask now um, for your grace, for your mercy, for your spirit to speak to us. Um, use me as your instrument so that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart may be pleasing in the sight of you, oh God. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So in the spring of 2015, I was on staff at a church in St. Louis. And one of the pastors of that church, the founding pastor of that church, was the major catalyst for me in wanting to preach and to teach and to pastor and to plant churches. He instructed me. He spoke life into a young 23-year-old at the time. But also in 2015, I witnessed something that I did not have any categories for, any idea about, and that was watching this pastor be removed from the pastorate. His outward devotion was meaningless. His heart had grown cold. His life did not match up with his doctrine. This was disorienting for me. It actually made me disillusioned with church leadership. It made me disillusioned even with the church, so much so that I said to myself, and I remember vividly thinking, I don't want to do this. I'm afraid of my own proclivities to say one thing, to believe a certain doctrine, to inhabit a certain practice, and not actually really truly believe it or live it in private or in, even in public. And over the years then following this pastor's leaving the pastorate, I watched the culture of this church be dismantled by God. That's the only way that I could describe it. 
It was people and leadership and things being removed from what was once a thriving and life-filled congregation. And you see, it wasn't just the major issue of this pastor being removed from the pastorate. It was actually a lot of small things over time that built up into the cascade of what only took one major thing to dismantle an entire culture of a church, to ruin one leader's entire ministry. You can liken it to waking up one morning and finding a pain in in your right big toe, and you kind of ignore it. And then all of a sudden, it's in both feet, and you still kind of ignore it. And then you find it in your hands, and you still kind of ignore it until one day you can't ignore it because there is so much pain. There is so much signal and so much warning that you wonder, I'm going to die until one day it does take you your life. Because what's happening internally is what is ripping the life out of you externally. It just takes time, takes one decision, takes one move over and over and over again. And here's where we can come to this text in Malachi, is that's what's happening with the priests. That's what's happening in the temple. It was an accumulation of small things over and over and over again until the temple was lifeless. The sacrifices were meaningless. Things were upside down for them. God was not there. It was cold, it was dead, it was lifeless religion. So we too, though, it isn't just the priests here in Malachi. This is an image for you and for me. We too can become gold and dead and lifeless and just do religious activities without actually having and experiencing the life-giving presence of God. But if this is happening in the temple for the priests, who's to blame? They had built an extravagant building. They were taking sacrifices. They were singing. They were instructing. Who's to blame? Is it the priests? Is it the people? Do they blame God? Well, that's what the book of Malachi is all about. It's a disputation. It's questioning God. Why have you left us? Do you love us? And what happens here is God actually says, okay, the priests, why don't you come to the stand and I'll tell you a little bit about what's happening. And through this confrontation with the priests, God gives us this big idea. And the thing that we can take away from this and what he wants the priests to know is that God gives us, his people, his leaders, his church, his name to walk in his ways. God gives us his name to walk in his ways. So by putting the priesthood on the stand, we're going to look at three things. We're going to look at the brokenness of the priesthood. We're going to look at the blessed priesthood. And then we're going to look at the royal priesthood. So if you would go back to the text, we're going to be in verses one through four and eight and nine. And we're going to look at the broken priesthood. So I'm sure many of you are familiar with the phrase, we've always done it this way. You can maybe think of people that you've interacted with that you've said to them, well, why don't you consider doing something a little different? And they go, well, we've always, we've always done it this way. It's going to be okay. And usually what's happening to the person who's responding to you, we've always done it this way. They're not seeing what everyone else is seeing and that the way they've been doing it 
it might not be the best way to go about it. So when God comes into the temple, he sees the people and the priest, and he says to them, what is going on? And they say to him, well, how have we despised your name? Malachi 1.6. And he, essentially they're going, well, we've always, we've always done it this way. We've always done sacrifices. We've always instructed. We've built this big building so that your, present, your presence could dwell with us. This is, this is how it's always been. But God is saying to them, something is broken. The temple was void of God's presence. And I don't know if you know this, but if the phrase, we've always done this way, and the voidness of God's presence, I don't know if those two things go together when you're talking to a priest in the temple. They're saying, we've always done it this way, but God's presence isn't there. Wasn't that the very thing that you were creating the temple for? was for the presence of God. And if God's presence is always, isn't there, then therefore we've always done it this way. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense in the moment. But how? How is the temple then broken? What is going on? Well, the priesthood were meant to be the mediators between God and the people. And what God is saying to them is, you're broken. There's things that are broken here. Well, how were they broken? And God gives us two major points of dysfunction, and then two consequences due to that dysfunction. First, the priests, they don't listen. He says, if you will not listen. So have you ever thought about the difference between hearing and listening? Picture this, you're in a crowded party, and you hear music playing, you hear conversation going on, you hear a lot of noise in the background, but that's all you hear. You don't hear the specifics of the conversation. You don't hear the music that's playing. Well, that's the difference between hearing and listening. Hearing is just passively there, experiencing what's happening in that crowded room without actually engaging with what's going on. But if you were listening, you'd step into the crowded room and you'd engage with the conversation. You'd hear what those people were talking back and forth about. Or more specifically, you'd hear the music. You'd hear the lyrics and what the lyrics were suggesting to you, what they were guiding you into. Think about the cha-cha slide at a wedding. If you just hear the music going on and you're just standing in the middle of the dance floor, you're missing the entire thing. You're not hearing what the lyrics are doing. You're not listening. You're not hearing to the right, to the left. Like, take it back now, y'all. Like you, that's the difference between hearing and listening. The listening provokes in you a response. The listening provokes in you an engagement with what is actually happening. And that's what's happening here. God says, if you do not listen, listen to what? To his instruction, to the law to the wisdom, to the prophets that came before, that were inviting the priests into the dance, the music that he was singing with the proper lyrics so that they might actually engage with what God intended for them to do. So this begs the question then for us, do you just hear? Are you just here in your faith? Or do you actually listen? to what God is calling you into, to the words that he has given you through his word. 
Are you in, are you invited and engaged with the dance that he is instructing you in? And then the second thing is a matter of the heart. So if we are adequately listening, then we are going to be dramatically influenced at the level of the heart. And the heart in the ancient times is the motivator. It's the seat of humanity. It's not just an emotional feeling, but it's the animating force to which your body moves, your mind thinks. The things of you as a whole person are engaged at the gut level, at the heart. And God says to the priests, you will not take it to heart to give honor to my name. So in short, the very thing that animates their entire being is missing the entire purpose of why they exist in the temple for the honor of God's name. It's not just an emotional response he's trying to elicit from them. He's trying to show them that their heart is lacking the very thing that it was created for, and that was to have God at the very center of them, to bear his name, to honor him by his name. And that's why the priesthood existed. That's what they were there for. That's what they were being tied to. It was God who set them apart in his name to pray, to sing, to teach, to sacrifice, to care for the poor, and to be mediators between heaven and earth. That's what the priests are for. And they were to bear God's image more fully when they were striving and at ease and at peace with his name in their heart. So in short, they bear God's image more fully when they take to heart to honor his name. And fully bearing the image of God in this world means centering our lives on honoring God's name. So whose name are you taking to heart? Is it yours or is it God's? It's the same thing for any church leadership, any church at all. Whose name are you taking to heart? Is it God's or is it yours? Wherever you step, whose name do you take to that place? Is it God's or is it yours? So these are the two dysfunctions that are at play. The priests, they aren't listening. Their hearts aren't given over to God's name. And these two dysfunctions lead us to two consequences that Malachi says here. The text forces the question upon us, what will God do in the face of corruption? What will he do? And this is honestly a question that many modern hearers have about the church or about leadership in the church. What will God do in the face of corruption? Will he protect the leaders or will he honor his name? And what this text gives us is, a question, is the answer to that question, and that is God will honor his name name. And it may, it may seem silly, but we're asking that question, friends. The people outside of these walls are asking that question. is how do I worship or how do I, why would I want to trust a God if he just protects the leaders who are apathetic, the leaders who are abusing, the leaders who are taking advantage, the leaders who don't even actually believe with their lives what they're saying with their mouths. What does God care more about? 
cares more about his name than the protection of those leaders. So in, the, in our Christian subculture and in the world around us, we witness the decay. We witness the abuse. We witness all of those things. And God is saying to us here, resoundly, that he cares more about his name. And the ways that he shows us that is that he says, I'm going to take your blessing and I'm going to turn it into curses. And I'm going to publicly humiliate you. That is fearful. That makes me tremble. Your blessings become curses, and I'm going to publicly humiliate you. So I'm going to try to keep this brief in explaining these two things. And so what's happening here is the ironic blessing, the Lord bless you and keep you. It is getting turned upside down in the temple. What God gave this priesthood to do, which was to bless the people with the very presence of God and the peace of God and the life of God and to instruct them with God, he's saying that this is going to be turned upside down, that this will be a curse. So God starts by saying this blessing is a curse. So the blessing that was meant for generations, he says, I will cut off your offspring. A blessing that was meant to give them the very face of God on them. He says, I will put dung on your faces. And that's supposed to elicit a very, very grotesque thing. It's public humiliation. Because what's happening here when he says, I'm going to put dung on your faces, is that sacrifices would be brought from all over. And those animals would excrete dung, lots of it. And what he's saying to the priest is that that stuff that's outside of the temple, I'm going to put it on you. You don't get my face shining on you. It's the opposite. You get dung. And not only do you get dung, but you even get more public humiliation that when you stand up before the people of God and you instruct them, you will be abased. They won't listen to your teaching. This is bleak. This is broken. This is a broken priesthood. This is a broken temple void of the life of God. But it's not just going to stay bleak. It's not just going to stay broken. The broken priesthood can and it does give way to the blessed priesthood brought on by the great high priest. And so look with me now at verses five through seven, and we're going to talk about the blessed priesthood. And so sandwiched in the midst of this text of verses one through four and eight and nine is the mercy of God. It's the mercy of God. God chooses to present a beautiful image of the covenant of Levi. He speaks of a singular priest, a singular messenger of the Lord who will come. And this priest will bring true instruction. He walks with God in awe and honor. He grants life and peace. He turns many people away from sin and iniquity. The things that have robbed them of their humanity, rather than just perpetuating it, he restores them back to it. So throughout this entire section, you can catch the conditional nature of it, which when you catch something in the Bible and it becomes conditional, that isn't just a means for you to work harder. That's the mercy of God saying to you, if you just hear my words, if you listen, 
if you listen and you take heart my name with open arms, I'm coming, I'm, I'm bringing you back. I'm drawing you in. The fact that God is coming to them and saying, if you, if you listen, if you take to heart, this is the mercy of God for us and for them. So friends, if, if you just listen, hear what he's saying. So God desires their restoration. He doesn't desire for them just to stay cursed, just to stay publicly humiliated. He desires their restoration. And this broken priesthood gives us the black velvet backdrop of the beautiful diamond that is the blessed priesthood. And in the Bible, the the priestly line, and so you see the covenant of Levi here. In the Bible, the priestly line comes from Aaron and is broken off into the tribe of Levi for the service of the temple. And in in the covenant with Levi, which is underneath the Mosaic covenant. So when he says that he's made a covenant with Levi, it's underneath that covenant that which he made with the people of God and Moses, that he would be their God, that he would be their people. And so under this covenant with Levi, the person who administers the service is the priest, the sacrifices, the teaching, the instruction, the singing, the praying. But what happened was, is that line would die and then it would need to be replaced and then they would die and it would need to be replaced. The priesthood was always there, but the priest changed year after year or generation after generation. But the coming of Jesus, however, was different from the ordinary broken system of the priesthood, corrupted by sin and bound by death. Jesus was no ordinary priest. It's important to note, though, that the Bible actually never says that Jesus is a priest outside of the book of Hebrews. But what you can see if you read through the Gospels is Jesus doing priestly things. So throughout all of the scriptures and even the life of Jesus is what theologians would call the humiliation of Christ and the humiliation of his incarnation. He's coming to be lowly, to be among the people, to administer, to teach, to do those things. And the continuation of that humiliation was in the life of suffering. And then after that, and this is the beautiful priestly thing to which John even spoke about last week was sacrifices. And those sacrifices culminate with the beautiful picture of Jesus's sacrifice on the cross. His entire life was that of the priestly order. His entire life was meant to be the mediator between heaven and earth. And what's described here in the priesthood of Levi is that they were to bless, that they were to instruct, and that people would come to them. And if you think about the Beatitudes, what does Jesus do as he instructs, as people gathered to him to teach them? Well, it reads this way, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. 
Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account, in my name. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. His instruction, people gathered to, and he blessed them. He instructed them in the ways in which they were to live in the world. And in Jesus, the knowledge of God God was guarded, as as these verses say. And in Jesus, people flocked to his instruction. Why? Because he is the messenger of the Lord that Malachi is speaking about. He is the one to whom the priesthood and the line of the priesthood would end. He is the blessed priest. So in Jesus, the priesthood, the true and final sacrificial offering was presented by him. And more specifically, that sacrificial offering wasn't just presented by him. That sacrificial offering was him. He was the final sacrifice. As the book of Hebrews chapter 9 says, But when Christ appeared as the high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once and for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and of calves, but by the means of his own blood, thus securing an an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works. The priesthood was dead. They were were working without a heart alive to honor God. The priesthood, the temple issues, the sacrifice issues, the presence of God issues, they're all solved in Jesus. They no longer exist because of Jesus. And as the rest of Hebrews 9 reads, for Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are the copies of the true things, but into heaven itself. Now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf, nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood, not his own. For then we would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. The broken priesthood was never meant to last. God in his mercy gave us the blessed priest 
Jesus. So if you come to him, if you listen to him, if you confess to him, if you cry to him, if you sing to him, if you work unto him, if you put the weight of your whole life on him, you will never come without the presence of God. Because in Jesus, the presence of God then dwells in you. And this this blessed priest makes the words of behold the throne true for us. Before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea. A great high priest whose name is love. Whoever lives and pleads for me. The priests in Malachi's day were apathetic. They were not listening to God. Their hearts were not given to his name and therefore their lives and their pleas for the people were coming up short to God. But Jesus, but Jesus, his life and his pleas, they never fall short to God. You never have to question whether you have the presence of God if you are in Jesus, the blessed priest, the only priest who guarantees that his sacrifice is final. So for he and in him, you have everything secured, that you don't have to consciously or subconsciously bring sacrifices to look for a priest, to try to find somebody who can mediate between you and God, because Jesus is already doing it. Friends, just come to the blessed priest, the one who has the blessed priesthood. And when you come to him, he restores you, all of you, holy you, and he makes you royal. He gives you dignity. He repurposes your life, which brings us to the last point. And this, the royal priesthood. First Peter 2, 5 says this, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house. He's talking about the church in Jesus are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So the progression progression from a function assigned by God under the covenant of Moses to every person in Christ now becomes a royal priesthood. So that now you and I are priests in this world. How often do you think about that? It goes back to Whose name, when, wherever you step, wherever you go, whose name are you honoring? Yours or God's? Because this, if this is true, if what Peter is saying to us is that in Christ, in the blessed priesthood, that we are now royal, and that we are now a royal priesthood, you don't just need a paid professional to stand before you to preach the good news to the lost. You don't just need a paid professional to go and to minister to the poor. You are a living stone, a royal priesthood. You are the restoration now of what Adam and Eve lost in the garden, their priestly function in this world through the blessed priesthood is now restored so that wherever you go in the name of Jesus, 
for the honor of Jesus, whatever your hands touch, whatever your, wherever your feet trod, it is now becoming holy if it's done in the name and for the glory of Jesus. This is you, friends, because of Jesus, a royal priesthood. So you mediate God's grace. And like the priests of old, we now serve as mediators between heaven and earth here as Jesus is on the move, as Jesus is bringing the culmination one day of the new heavens and new earth. We get to taste that now as his royal priests, as those who are being built up. So when you go to give that cup of water in the name of Jesus to someone who's thirsty, it's furthering on the kingdom of God. When you go to your workplace and you interact and you honor people with your words or you do your job wholeheartedly, you are in that moment honoring Jesus and restoring again what God will make brand new in the new heavens and new earth. Right now, you can taste it. You are mediators of grace. Jesus is before the Father saying, that's my son, that's my daughter, they're in my name. They're living in my name. He has a smile on you when you do things for his pleasure, for his glory, and in his name. And then you also get to offer spiritual sacrifices. It's ironic that John this morning brought up the spiritual sacrifices that we bring. And what's interesting is in Romans as he pointed out this morning, it's not just you as an individual who are bringing sacrifices. It's when we come together as a body, as those who are the body of Christ, where Christ is the head, we all with one movement bring spiritual sacrifices as a body. That's your life. That's your words. That's your thoughts. That's everything you have together in this world for the glory of Jesus and for the good of others. That's what it means to be a royal priesthood. So we sing and we pray and we worship and we preach and we teach and we work with our hands diligently because we are a royal priesthood. And in that, we are doing exactly what God commissioned Adam and Eve to do in the beginning. Is that's have dominion. That's to give God's image and his the proper glory that it was designed to have. So the way that I experienced in 2015 by seeing that pastor be removed, it was, it was God doing what God does, and that's protecting his name. It's honoring his church is protecting his flock. It's doing what he has to do, which is what's happening in Malachi's day now. He's protecting his name. He's honoring the flock. And he's saying to them, for those who will listen, for those who will take to heart, come to me. Eugene Peterson once wrote, the truth, the Jesus truth, only when it is wedded to the Jesus way produces the Jesus life. You can't have one of those things missing. The Jesus truth to the Jesus way produces the Jesus life. So when any part of that formula is out of whack or missing, then we are missing our purpose. 
we aren't walking with Jesus. If we just believe true things about Jesus, but we don't embody his ways, or if we just embody his ways and we don't actually believe the true things about him, it's all things together into him who is the head. And that will produce in us as a royal priesthood, the life. So God gives us his name so that we might walk in his ways. And friends, what this text is ending up telling us through putting the priest on display is that your life is not insignificant, but that if you're not listening right now, if you're not hearing, if God is not your God, there is a moment and that there's a space and a place and a time, which is right now that you can come to him that you can find your full worth and become royal, be the royal priesthood, living out your full humanity in the blessed priest, the great high priest. And with open hands, we can sing this to be true if you don't feel that you are actually close to Jesus or that you're actually walking with him. You can say, I am weak, but you are strong. Jesus, keep me from all wrong. I'll be satisfied as long as I walk. Let me walk close to thee. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are giving us this picture of the priesthood in Malachi so that we might have hope in Jesus, the blessed priest, the priest who's there with love and open arms, the one who sacrifices final and sure and true. God, for those of us here who, who have not made Jesus our priest, I pray that you would now, as we prepare to come to the table, meet them in this moment. Call them to yourself. May they see that Jesus' sacrifice and his resurrection and his ascension are all that they need to have life and life full. We pray this all in Christ's name. Amen.